It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Welcome to The Times. To find out more, head to thetimes.co.uk. Every goal, every game, everywhere. The Times and the Sunday Times, now with goals. I'm Gabriel Marcotti, and in the studio this week, I am so excited because I am joined by the very talented Alison Rudd, the equally talented James Scowcroft, and having made his way in from beautiful sort of Barnes, Richmondy, Mortlakey, West Londony, by the rivery, posh people y type place, the pride of Yorkshire, it's Matt Hughes. On the show, we'll be talking Harry Kane. QPR's plight, pitch invasions, but first we have to start with the magic of the FA Cup. Sterling demands the ball, and Sterling gets the ball. Sturridge makes the dart towards the near post. Now, was he pulled back by Kilgallen? It's the second penalty appeal involving the Blackburn captain. The contact was minimal, but by the letter of the law, that could have been a penalty. He certainly thinks so. Alison has a theory about why the biggest game of the FA Cup this weekend, to our inconvenience here at the Game Podcast, is scheduled not on the weekend, it's scheduled on Monday night. That's right, Manchester United and Arsenal, presumably by the time you listen to this, they will have already played. I suggested that the BBC got a little overexcited at the prospect of stealing the concept of Monday night football from Sky and they're slightly obsessed with the idea of getting a live game between two heavyweights in the Premier League on a Monday night and um, they would have well, you know, not literally, but would have, in, in bidding terms, killed to get that match. Uh, Detroit, let's talk about football on the pitch. Liverpool and Blackburn played out hard fought, maybe, uh, nil-nil draw. Alison, why were Liverpool so poor in the first half? I, I thought, I mean, they, they certainly looked kind of leggy and, and tired. We'll get to the refereeing decisions, which didn't help. Well, Rogers, Rogers said they were, they were just tired. They'd had a, a reasonably tough schedule. I mean, they're not... I don't know whether that's true or not, but that, that was the excuse he gave. I think Blackburn started more positively than Liverpool, although their main tactic was quite funny, which seemed to be that we... Because I think they decided to, to to kick to let Liverpool attack the cop end in the first half because that meant that um, Mignolet had the sun in his eyes in the first half and the tactic seemed to be to just get the ball in quite high and that maybe he'll be blinded and they'll score it almost paid off actually and um they, they they went for the physicality they went for that t- that typical thing you do when you've got fewer players of any great quality they went for let's go physical at liverpool and um they did they were ruffled by it um the home team and um it was a good it was a good plan i was really impressed with gestad i hadn't seen him properly before and I liked his energy and he was all over the place. He wasn't a one-trick pony. He was holding the ball up really well and he did intimidate the um, Liverpool back line. Didn't help Liverpool that Skirtle was injured very early in the match because he is clearly Liverpool's more consistent defender this season. So those factors probably. And then normal service was resumed in the second half where Blackburn just, just 
didn't really have anything anything else up their sleeve, but they just mop it up. But they did that well enough. James, I don't follow the championship, but I know who Jordan Rhodes is, and I know he's a very expensive striker, and I know he's their joint top scorer in the league this season, along with Gestad. And I know he's been on the bench in previous FA Cup outings. Why would you want somebody who you presume is clearly better than almost everybody else on your team? Why would well, he not? <clears throat> well, he has been, um, but he's had a a poor season by his standards you know, he's been exceptionally good in the last couple of seasons very surprised nobody's taken him into the premiership I know uh, he's on a good deal at Blackburn and Blackburn paid a lot of money which would, would then make somebody else have to pay a lot of money for him but you know I think he's one of those that's just lost his way a bit at Blackburn this season you know obviously if you look at Rudy Gustead, I think Rudy Gustead nearly got a move to the Premiership. I think Crystal Palace were, were interested in him in January. It didn't quite work out. So it's worrying, worrying for Jordan Rose because I thought, you know, he's one of these, uh, you know, good English centre forwards we had that would go into the Premiership, maybe hold his own. His goal scoring record is phenomenal in the Championship, but it just hasn't happened for him this season. It's that old debate. Is James probably been more better player to answer this, but is scoring goals enough these days for a centre forward? Fabio Capello didn't think so. That's well, why he, he ne- never picked Michael Owen. Matt, there's been a load of centre forwards that have been made redundant because everyone plays one up front now instead of yeah. two up front. So, you know, and then Jordan Rhodes, Jermaine Defoe was a classic example. All these guys just just don't play the games anymore. So Gestet is is a busier player. Yeah. He works harder yeah, off the ball physical. and stuff, more yeah. physical, more presence. And that's why Jordan Rhodes doesn't. But does he start in the league? Yeah, yeah he has been doing it. He plays them both in the league. Fantastic goal scorer, but he doesn't seem to quite do enough for Premier League teams to take a punt on him. Is he sort of in the Stephen Fletcher type mould because I, I look at Fletcher and from what I've seen he strikes me as somebody who really doesn't do much off the ball other than occasionally foul people is is that is it that sort of thing? His um, positioning in the penalty area is very good but in terms of outside the box does not contribute anything at all he's, he's, he's a strange his gift seems to be obviously finishing and, and spatial awareness because in terms of the other skills you need as a centre forward he hasn't he's not great at anything he's not particularly quick he's not particularly strong he's not brilliant in the air but he, he's just a very good goal scorer Alison Brendan wasn't happy with the pitch which I thought was kind of interesting because it's Anfield what was so bad what was so wrong with I don't it? see how there can be anything wrong with the pitch it's a hybrid grass and yeah I have played on it and uh, I, I I played on it, it up to in May so I played it on it in Brendan's. May it seemed pretty perfect to me so I don't <laughs> I don't know what's gone wrong I come from Italy and our clubs share pitches we also have much greater variance in the weather in the sense it gets much colder at least in north of Italy in the summer or sorry in the winter and it gets much hotter in the summer and that wreaks havoc on the pitch plus we've got these crappy closed-in stadiums and so our pitches are generally not very good and but mostly that we have because we have ground sharing for example in, in Milan you've got two teams playing on there and when they're in the cups the, the pitch gets no respite whatsoever y'all don't have that problem here it rains all the time and never gets really hot and never gets really cold, certainly not in Liverpool. Plus, it's Brendan Rodgers' pitch, right? It's his pitch, his personal pitch at Anfield. How can the pitch be bad? I don't know. I've played at Anfield several times, and Anfield's always been one of the, the better pitches. And like Alison says now, the technology, where it's half grass, half artificial, shouldn't be any problems at all. They've, they have these lights now, artificial lighting, that if there's lack of daylight, they can cause that problem. Water's no problem. So I don't know. Obviously, Liverpool have had a few games. It hasn't been right for a while, has it? Even some of their Champions League games against Basel and that, it, no, think, it didn't look right. I think right. Rodgers has mentioned the pitch before. Yeah. You know, I know Crystal Palace has struggled with their pitch this year. Sometimes you can dig a pitch up too many times or relay it or, or something can happen and it doesn't sit right and you've got big problems. Alison's our qualified referee. I don't want to pick on referees again. 
But it was this interesting situation, though, with Kilgallen on, on Lalana, where I was watching a commentary on television. In real time, Michael Owen saying, oh, what a brilliant tackle. And to me, it looked like, well, it's a foul. He took his foot out. Then I watched the replay, and I wasn't so sure what I'd seen. Michael Owen wasn't so sure. He said, well, maybe he did get his foot first. So I think it kind of goes to show that even watching on television in real time, it is it is tricky. Um, but did they get that right? Or is it just one of those where we will really never know? It, well, it's it's a, it was a borderline decision. And this is this is the problem whenever we get down to talking about video refing and stuff. There are There will be quite a few incidents be where careful, you can't... Be careful, because Matt Dickinson might be listening. Yeah, he gets very cross, doesn't he? There, there will be plenty of incidents like that one where you just have to accept you're not sure, and if you're not sure, you don't give the penalty. I think the defender did touch the ball, but I think he also took the man, but the ball had gone too far for Lalana to have done anything with it, so on balance, I think they got the decision right. I've heard this thing mentioned before, the ball's gone too far so he couldn't have done anything with it. Is this something that they tell referees? Because it's, it's not, not it's in not, the it's not, of No, the no, game. It's, not, it's, not a, it's not a law, but it, it's a way of establishing... It's a factor in establishing whether you do give a penalty or not, because that clearly is irrelevant, say, the ball's but why? in the air and nowhere near either player, and you just fell a player with by pushing him over in the box so he doesn't have a chance to get to the and ball. that's a penalty. That would be a penalty. But in this instance, where you feel the defender has got something on the ball... And it was an honest attempt to get the ball. And he probably did, because you've only got a split second, but you think he did get something on the ball. And then you think, ah, but, you know, the players, the attacker can't get to the ball either. But actually, he wouldn't have anyway. It's it's just about pros and cons of the situation and deciding what's the fairest outcome. And the fairest outcome is it was it was an honest attempt to get the ball. He did get the ball. And although the player was down, he wouldn't have got the ball anyway. So what? why are you giving a penalty? To me, and I go back to this, and also there was another incident with uh, one of the defenders pulling Balotelli's shirt in the box. I guess the referee from where he was, no way he could have seen it. It's another argument for more referees. I know like everybody likes to lampoon this, but an additional assistant referee in AAR, as they're called, behind the goal, would have had a very clear sightline, I think, of, of the Lalana Kilgallen incident, which is only better sightline than TV or the referee had. And also with the Balotelli one, he would have been able to see it and definitively establish if they were both shirt pulling if it was only one guy or, or whatever rather than leaving this doubt done that in the Champions League though Gabby in Europe with the, the, the linesman assistant referees whatever they're called behind the, behind the goal has it really worked? yeah it's worked really really well actually I think well, well as we, yeah, I, don't, I don't disagree as you say the game football has completely changed in the last 20 years it's much quicker the players more professional basically cheat more it's unrealistic to expect one guy with a whistle to be able to take control of it so I don't, I don't see why you shouldn't experiment. I mean, for all these refereeing controversies we've had recently, I don't remember too many in Europe in the Champions League, so maybe, maybe Gab's right. Anyway, uh, you can see how excited we are to talk about the FA Cup, and we'll be talking more uh, FA Cup later. But fortunately, the Premier League did not abandon us entirely this weekend because we have a Premier League game to talk about. It's Queen's Park Rangers. It's Tottenham Hotspur. It's a London derby. You're yawning, Scully. Why are you yawning? Tired. It's the Premier League. It's the free kick to Spurs. Townsend will loft it in. Aim towards Kane! And Kane has got there ahead of Robert Green and given Tottenham the lead. The man who can do no wrong strikes in front of the England manager. It's a very good game as well. Big win for Spurs. Harry Kane's a real deal. Disappointing for, for Queen's Park Rangers. Again, more bad refereeing, I, th- I thought, in that bad game. Refereeing, bad defending as well. I mean, Rio and Corker, terrible. They can play as well as you like, and Charlie Austin can score 40 goals, but if you defend that badly, you ain't going to stay in the Premier League. It's an interesting point with Rio. 
how do you know when it's when your time's up? He obviously he must look around and say, you know what, like, okay, so I'm not as quick and as strong and as fast as I was, but I'm more intelligent than most of these Burks out here. I still have the ability on the ball that you know. I'm assuming Rio Ferdinand can do things with the ball that Stephen Calker can't even do on FIFA. And as a footballer, I'm assuming you have to have that confidence, right? That that you have to believe you're good enough. Hey, how do you come around to that decision, James? I think uh, Matt makes a good point. I, I don't think it's your decision. I think other people make that decision for you, really. The reason he's defending a high line, I don't think it's down to him. I think that's probably a Chris Ramsey tactic that probably got wrong looking back at it. I, I just think it's a combination of a lot of things you know if you all of a sudden don't play every week you lose a bit of fitness you then maybe start to put on a little bit of weight your body shape changes when you get into your 30s it's a combination of a lot of things and it, and it really really is hard work to, to continue to to be at the level where you you once were again James would know far better than me but if you're aging player looking to prolong it it's very important that you're at the right club with the right manager who can kind of guide you through the season and you're totally in tune with things tactically in terms of training preparation. Easy with hindsight to say now, but QPR and Rio Ferdinand are not a good mix. They're a struggling team with lots of older players, very well paid, mixed with some youngsters in there as well. They've had, they're in the second manager of the season. Rio Ferdinand, for all his all his quality and intelligence, he has throughout his career had lapses of concentration and questions over you know, his commitment to an extent. I, I don't think it's a I don't think it's a good combination. And the where he's playing probably hasn't helped him. For all that said for QPR, I, I, I thought it was a bit of a heartbreaker, but Ramsey, the, the manager, still somewhat bullish. Is he right to be? Well, he'd be a fool to publicly sound depressed, wouldn't he? It's not over. There's, there's still every chance they could climb up the bottom three. He has to believe that. I mean, the point he made was they're not being trounced. They're not being completely outclassed. There's degrees of hope in every game he's managed so far. And it has been, as he put it, fine margins. He seems a thoroughly likeable guy. And he says, I think he does say the right thing. I think, I think he, did, he said, I'm not stupid. I'm not, I'm not relaxing because I've made the holy grail. I'm not thinking, oh, I've made it because I'm a Premier League manager. He knows he's got a lot of hard work. But, you know, as James pointed out, I'm not sure... He's picking the right defence. I, I look at this. I mean, we talk about sort of the squad and spending and whatever, and saying I'm saying anything new that this is a much better squad than Burnley's squad, probably a better squad than Whole City's squad. It's probably a better squad than than Leicester, quite below them in the table. Some might say that it's it's a better squad than than Villa or Palace, maybe even Stoke, or way above them in the table. Is this on Harry here when you look at the wages and the spending and, and the quality of the players that they have? But it's not just on Harry because he doesn't he doesn't sign off the wages and he doesn't sign all players. And QPR being badly managed since Fernandez bought them, to be honest. It's on Tony. Well, ultimately it has to be. He's, he's the owner. He appoints the managers. He largely has signed a lot of the players. The chief, chief executive left last month. It suggests to me that it's a badly managed club from from top to bottom. Again, I don't think Harry Redknapp was the right fit for QPR for the last, last couple of years he's took got, them up got, he would say he took them up but they were extremely fortunate that playoff final against Derby was daylight robbery and they, in terms of spending they should have won that division by a distance so I don't think they get a huge amount of credit for that How do you feel about finding clubs who spend too much when the owners have the money? The problem is who who are you finding? Are you finding the owners? Are you finding the supporters? Are you you know they've obviously found a loophole, haven't they? Where if it's not a loan, you can you can put as much money in the club as you want. But can one day can he then turn it back into a loan when he's when he's had enough? Well, I don't understand about this guy is the Tony Fernandez is. I thought he was. I met him when he he was a West Ham fan, hmm. 
and I was a QPR fan. And he just seems to be continually putting money in and, and said, because it's, it's not a loan. And I, does he really believe that, that QPR will, will grow back and become the size of Spurs one day or, or whatever? Or, or is he just throwing good money after bad? I, I, I don't understand the guy's, the guy's game plan. Well, I mean... They're still stuck there in the stadium that's the size of a shoebox. They keep signing veteran players for zillions of, 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 of pounds. And there's a decent chance to go down. Well, and that's the key, isn't it? The stadium. If they get the stadium right, then the potential is is limitless. Really, because there's not many big clubs in West London. Or no, even there's London. a lot of lot of people in London. There's a lot of tourists come to London. There's a, lot, there's a serious amount of money in West London. So, if they're established in the Premier League in a nice stadium in a nice shopping centre, I think they'll 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 be able to get the crowds and it and it will be fine. But they've got to get that stadium and they've, they've got to stay in the Premier League. Neither of which things seem to be happening at the minute. Actually, from a business perspective, would you rather be where QPR are? Should they build a stadium there, or would you rather be West Ham and move into the Olympic Stadium? West Ham because they've got it for free. <laughs> right, but, okay. <laughs> but Two million th- pounds a year, isn't it? <laughs> But I'll think, but, but that's what I'm saying. If, if that happens, if that takes off, I mean, yeah, I know London's a very big place, but there are some very big football clubs. Uh, there's some clubs in the lower divisions that that have a lot of money. There's the team you wrote about, Get Brentford. They're building TV a new stadium. Deal. Does it really matter how big your stadium is or how big this is? In two or three years' time, when that kicks in, clubs are going to be so rich. What who comes in and out through your turnstiles isn't really going to make a lot of difference. Ah, but see, that's where you're wrong because if you take the time to go on the Premier League website and go down to uh, their 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 sort of club handbook, and you read their financial fair play rules. One of the things the Premier League did, I think, rightly, is that there's a limit to how much your wages can grow year on year, based on TV revenue. So, in other words, I think it's like four million pounds if your wage bill is above fifty million. They can only grow by that much, unless you also grow commercial and um, box office revenue. And so that's why you need the stadium, right? Because if it was just about TV, then they could go and play in Matt Hughes's back garden and it wouldn't make a difference. Where I'm sure they have a nicer pitch than an Anfield. It's plastic, actually. It is plastic. There yeah. you go. Although it'd only be free aside. It's quite small. Right. Well, there you go. It's cozy. Looking at Tottenham, top four, do we still do we still believe, given how badly some of the teams ahead of them are playing? Well, I have to say yes, because I wrote a blog. You did? Yes, saying I saw that. if they won the next two games, Swansea and QPR, then... They have to be serious contenders so for Tottenham. Your is Southampton and Tottenham, is it? It has become Southampton <laughs> and Tottenham. Though, yeah. Have you got a bet on that? Not allowed to bet. Not allowed to bet. I mean, yeah, I saw, I saw, I, I wrote that, and then I looked at the table after the uh, Tottenham beat QPR, and I thought, oh, it still looks a bit That's unlikely. The <laughs> it still looks a bit unlikely, but um, the running's not bad. I think no. I think the problem with Spurs all season has been they 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 keep getting into this zone where they look like they are the real deal, and then they they blow it. They keep blowing it as well. It's it's a question if they can, if this is an indication that they've found some groove, then yes, I think I think they do have almost all the ingredients. Their back four isn't brilliant actually. Everywhere else is quite good. Fullbacks, and they've got Larice. Larice. Fullbacks are terrible. Yeah, Larice is. Um, Larice is. is I mean, Larice saved them the points against uh, Swansea. Well, we, no when you replace Vertonghen and Dyer as centre backs, I'm kind of like, what the hell? You know, like you're, you're kind of guaranteed like one or multiple screw ups <laughs> a game. I, I, he brought in Fazio, who I don't think is that bad a player, but then in in several big games recently, he's he's. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. 
Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Which I don't, I just don't understand that. But why is it, though, that, I mean, there's was, was time somebody about this at Spurs who said, well, the team's ahead of us. Nobody's playing consistently well except for Chelsea, and we don't really need to worry about them. You know, even Southampton are going to regress to the mean at some point. Why is it? Why, why? But I guess Arsenal, to be fair, I think are playing better. But why are so many big clubs really just playing poorly? They leave aside results. You know, Liverpool have been inconsistent. United have been inconsistent. Spurs have been inconsistent. And I'm talking performances here, not results. Well, why is that, Matt? Well, if you look at it, a lot of our bigger clubs are in a state of transition for obvious reasons. United, new manager, Tottenham, new manager. Liverpool lost their best player, outstanding, the best player in the league. I think Arsenal have been fairly consistent within their own limitations, which is what's made it... If City aren't in transition, then people are saying, oh, look, they're stale. Well, they'll be in transition soon when Pellegrini gets sacked, so <laughs> foreshadowing the inevitable. Our biggest clubs are not as as good as, as they were. If you look back 10 years ago to sort of the Mourinho, Rafa, um, Wenger, Ferguson teams, they would be the top four every year by by a distance partly because the Premier League probably wasn't as competitive at the bottom end but also because they were very very good and they were doing well in Europe which is no longer the case so I, th- I think standards I think standards have slipped Chelsea you said probably will win the league and are playing well but they've not played particularly well recently they've been they've been patchy and I think you can get away with it in the Premier League because everyone is beating everyone Right, enough of this. We have to move on to our debate, which takes us back to the FA Cup. Here's a really good column in the uh, in the game uh, today from our boss, Tony Evans. In light of events between Villa and West Brom, says, you know, let's not have a knee-jerk reaction. For those who didn't realize or weren't paying attention, Villa won 2-0. There were at least two pitch invasions, or certainly one, and then a bunch of people on the pitch when um, Sinclair scored the goal. And then there was a big pitch invasion at the end. There were West Brom fans who ripped up seats and started chucking them onto the pitch. They weren't allowed onto the pitch. It was all Villa on the pitch. Uh, There were reports that um, several uh, West Brom players, I think Callum McManaman and Boaz Myhill, were were, were attacked or pushed around. It was an interesting reaction. Pulis went ballistic after the game and, and said, you know, we need to ban these people for life, blah, blah, blah. Obviously, he's the away team, and it was his players getting pushed around. Tim Sherwood seemed while not condoning it, seemed a little bit more understanding, said it was a joyous pitch invasion. Our boss, Tony Evans, points out, let's not have some sort of knee-jerk reaction here. But the question seems spontaneous. Like, for those of us who started going to football in the 80s, this kind of stuff happened, and it generally wasn't a huge deal, unless it got violent. Watching on TV, I couldn't quite tell, because I'm not used to seeing these types of pitch invasions anymore, unless a team wins promotion or something. Is this something you need to crack down on hard? So we have well, 700 banning orders. Well, first, yeah, first, well, first of all, this does, this it's, this isn't part of a trend, and it's not like it's this is the culmination of, of smaller pitch invasions over previous weeks. This is a one-off event, and you've got to look at the reasons why it happened in that particular game. The slightly less serious and humorous um, and pathetic uh, thing to point out is, is, you know, I mean, you'd think Aston Villa just beaten Real Madrid. I mean, it's slightly pathetic that they got that excited about we beating West Brom. It's just ludicrous. But Tim Sherwood Sher to talk about exuberance and so Semi-final of the FA Cup, which for a team that's really not had much to play for in recent years. Hopefully it is an isolated incident, and I think there are pretty, some pretty obvious local factors to explain it. They've beaten West Brom 
two local derbies in four days. They won them both. They're having a terrible season. Barely winning the games for three months. They're suddenly at Wembley. Some controversial refereeing decisions towards the end. Most of them wrong. All that mixed in together explain the kind of relief and exuberance. And it's not right and it shouldn't happen, but I don't think it was aggressive and violent. And in terms of the attacks on the West Brom players, if you get a big crowd of people together and they jostle, that's that's what's going to happen. I don't think anyone went out there with the intention of what? assaulting Rose no, Mahoney. Well, okay, okay, but, uh, well, then we'll have to and agree to disagree on whether it was ex- whether there was any reason for such exuberance well, I think it was me. I think Calm it was slightly sort of slightly calmer rational being as yourself but if you're an Aston Villa fan you've been spending money you don't have to watch a team all season and you're suddenly in final then you, you, you I, I can understand why you would okay we'll have to agree to this because I don't I don't understand but I think I not think the everybody's reason a Liverpool they, fan I mean you know like like for some for fans of other clubs Villa are a big club it's embarrassing to yeah, get that yeah. excited beating West Brom in the cup it really is well, I don't think that's you're saying you think that was a factor the, the yeah. starvation of and, success and two local seasons. derbies in four days okay. which is very well, unusual I will agree to disagree on that one then but the other the other more serious factor is that the lack of stewarding I mean Villa Park is, is every ground has its own little nuances of, 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 of where there are pockets of fans that can get on the pitch and so on it's quite an open ground Villa Park and even before anyone spilled it onto the pitch, it was clear that there was a marked lack of, oh, where are the stewards for this game? It did seem to be a bit free for all And then you get the first trickle of fans who come on the pitch at the first goal. Was it the first goal? But there were, I, think, I think both goals there was a spillage onto the pitch. And as soon as, as, soon as there are maybe, maybe they're a bit drunk or whatever, as soon as you see this is a possibility and there doesn't seem to be anyone or anything stopping you, Word will get around that this is this is our moment. This is our this is going to be fun, and no no uh, changes were made to the stewarding. They just you know police remained at the away end, lack of stewards remained a lack of stewards, and it was it was almost an open well, invitation to spill onto the pitch. And that, no, I, so you, you're well, suggesting you're suggesting you could provide a disincentive when you have the earlier spillages if you make a big show of ejecting people at absolutely. that point absolutely and that, you do get what well, you do often get loners doing it at, at games that is quite that is a theme throughout the year you'll get one lunatic per game who tries to run on the that's that i've seen that loads of times and they are they are completely smothered and taken away and people boo and it's sort of like the full stop on it that atmosphere was not there at villa park it was oh there's more than one person and oh, there doesn't seem to be anybody doing anything it all seems a bit festival-like, let's have a go at the end. It was just poor stewarding, policing. I, Tony took issue with the fact that the police appeared to be sort of presiding the area where the West Brom fans were and where they were ripping up seats. I don't really have that much of a problem with that because obviously what you don't want is the West Brom fans being attacked by Villa fans if it goes in that direction, nor do you want the West Brom fans going on the pitch. So in some ways it looked to me like they kind of let things play out with the crowds that got onto the pitch and they put their police resources to try and keep the two sets of fans apart, which I thought was rather reasonable, personally. Hands up, who's been part of a pitch invasion in this room? Okay, I won't reveal who, but 75% of the people in this room have been pitch invaders at one point. Okay, that's that's three out of the four of us. So maybe that's why we're we're not quite bent out of shape. W- one thing that struck me was, in, in, in terms of the media hysteria reaction to this in, in some quarters, was I saw Fabian Delph on television talk about afterwards, uh, and he seemed elated. He said, well, it was kind of wild, kind of scary, people coming onto the pitch, and they were happy, but, you know, he lost his captain's armband. And, uh, and then he mentioned that one guy was kissing him on the head, but then it felt like he was being bitten. 
Now, I don't think there's too many instances of vampirism among Villa fans or that somebody decides I'm going to go and like suck the blood out of Fabian Delft's head. And yet I see papers in the, you know, I see headlines in the newspaper by people who should know better about like, oh, Fabian Delft was bitten. You know, I, you I, find I this all a bit silly. I just see football fans going to a game and enjoying themselves. Can't happen. How dare they be, be happy? Beating, beating your local rivals in the FA Cup, going to Wembley. You've just got to sit there and clap your hands. Have you not implored? And is that what they do in Italy? Yeah, we just sit on our behinds and applaud yeah. politely. You're yeah. allowed to let fireworks off over in Italy, aren't you? Yeah, I don't know why you guys are so against fireworks no, and players. Don't, but like, don't. <laughs> pyro. It's all about the pyro. No, but seriously, James, I, you, you... Just you, find you, it all embarrassing. The, the over-hype of it all. The, the, you know, not a big deal is basically your no message. Not a big deal at all. How is it a big deal? Well, I mean, maybe Callum McManaman and Boaz Myhill were scared. Were, were you Were you ever on the so, pitch during a pitch invasion? Mate, I, I've had five times that worse happened to me, and it was actually in Birmingham, playing at Birmingham City in a League Cup semi-final for, for Ipswich. It was the best atmosphere I've ever played in my career. It was absolutely bouncing St Andrews. The Zulu Army came yeah, on the pitch and came Every after goal you? they came on the pitch, and at the end they came on the pitch. And there was a couple of fans that actually, I wouldn't say they went for me at this set and the other, but, you know, like I say, it sticks in my mind now, the best atmosphere I've ever played in. What'd they do? I didn't really do anything, Kiss but, them. you know, if, if I would have squared up to one or two of them, I'm sure it would have gone further, but, it, you know, how many, how many West Brom players were in hospital this morning? I mean, you seem to have a very laissez-faire thing. You seem to take this more, slightly more seriously, Alison. I, one thing I wanted to throw out there is so many people made, and this kind of bothers me a little bit, people made the point about oh, well, it was the kickoff time because people got in, you know, more hours of drinking. So there's two things, two reasons I have an, I have an issue with this. One is because it, it assumes that everybody who ran onto the pitch is drunk. It, and secondly, I just find it incredibly patronizing towards football fans. Now, I, I realize alcohol can be involved in issues of violence. It, it, it often is, or, 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 or disorder, I should say. But by the same token, like, what happened to kind of not treating these people like, like, like children? I mean... Well, a lot of them were children, so... People, yeah, I don't yeah. think alcohol but they're probably not the it. ones who were yeah. drunk. Alison makes a good point that it only takes half a dozen to get on and get over it, and then the floodgates open. So I guess if you've got a few uh, rowdy fans who go on, then that they can inadvertently trigger the pitch invasion, and it doesn't take that that many drunk people to do that, is the point. So we're not saying that all those fans have been in the boozer all day in the ball ring, but um, it could could have been a factor. Yeah, I, I I don't know. I mean, I, I know y'all have issues with this and have done for a long time. I just this this debate about how like you know we need to schedule this game at nine o'clock in the morning so nobody will have time to drink. Uh, kind of like take responsibility. If you break the law, you break the law, and you're going to prison. It's a police issue, isn't it? And the, they have the stats to back it up. They they will know. Yeah, they what, have the stats that they compile to back up what they want to do, which is to play at nine in the morning. <laughs> if it were up to them, be a lot cheaper. I'm sure they would. I'm sure they would. I just, you know, I think this weekend, having played the game, supporting the game and worked in the media, the divide between the three of them, and you can see it on social media, is massive. The actual match-going supporter, their sort of opinion on it, the the players away and the people who work in the media, the, 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 the gap now between the different corners of football in um, supporters' media is massive, absolutely massive. People just see it from a completely different point of view. Right. How about some quick hits? We talked about the bad stuff before, um, but we should give credit to Aston Villa, who are through the semi-final thanks to a two-no win. Matt, are you willing to credit Terrible Tim? Is this the what we what's known scientifically as the Sherwood effect? Uh, well, they've won two tough games in a week, so I guess it is, and they're at Wembley for the 
first time in what 15 years is it I think um, so he's doing well he has to sustain it and, and keep them up Claudio Jacob was sent off for West Brom for what looked to many as a rather innocuous challenge in fact it looked like the other guy uh, Bakuna came in and tackled him Alison you're a resident qualified referee did the official just get it wrong because he's human and mistakes will happen or is there something in the laws of the game and the interpretation that us nodal pundits don't realise I don't think so no Jacob ended up getting penalised because he was really trying not to hurt the opponent and he sort of skidded to a halt cartoon style which meant that his studs did show a little bit but it was quite clear his motivation was to avoid hurting the player who was tackling him so it was, it was a wrong call, absolutely. Thank you. Mistakes happen. Let's all move on. We're all human. Papi Cisse issues a full apology for his role in the spitting incident and gets six games, plus one, because he'd already been found guilty of violent conduct this season. Johnny Evans denies the charge. In fact, says he wasn't even aware of the incident until the next morning. But the FA don't buy it, and he also gets six games. Scoey, are you okay with this? And can you share just why professional footballers find this so distasteful relative to, say, a leg-breaking tackle? There's two things. I don't think anybody really... You know, lead breaking tackles. Anyone means to do it, it happens, and it's not very nice. But you know, spitting not just on football. If anyway, it's, it's absolutely vile, isn't it? I do feel for Johnny Evans. I, I, not that sort of player. No, I don't think he is. And you know, if he did do it, then he deserves everything he's got. But you know, will we see one day someone actually saying, "No, I didn't do it, and you're wrong, and I'm going to get my lawyers onto it"? Or I don't know. I just think the FA, uh, if they don't do anything, they're going to get criticised. If they do do anything, maybe the criticism isn't going to be quite as bad. Paul Scholes and the rest of the people who stuck up for him said that he just spat on the ground and that it's a normal reflex action and footballers spit all the time. Aren't there camera angles that could establish whether he did spit on the ground or whether he ended up spitting on Papi Cisse? I didn't see any. Often with spitting, the spit doesn't actually reach the player. It's just the act of spitting in the direction of the player. So it does, it, 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 it's okay, sort of irrelevant whether the spit will hit Cisse or not, isn't it? Plenty of stories suggesting Manuel Pellegrini may need to seek employment elsewhere uh, at the end of the season. Hughie, if you were Sheikh Mansour, you be a lot wealthier than you are now and you'd still have that very fetching beard but uh would you part ways assuming you finish in second place and who's tipped to replace him uh it depends how they finish second if they win every game then the season and chelsea do and they finish second then no because there will have been a response and an improvement if they continue to be consistent and don't improve over the season i would get rid of him and i would love to see jürgen klopp in manchester with van Gaal because that would be hilarious the Champions League and Europa League return, and with it, the chance for the three Premier League clubs to make amends. Alison, any grand theories on the underperformance, or is it just a bad week at the office? Well, no, um, well, no I mean, like, Everton are doing well in the Europa League because Martinez takes it very seriously. Wenger and Pellegrini take Champions League too seriously and almost become paralysed by overthinking it, I suspect. And the other big factor is Premier League is, relatively speaking, absolutely exhausting, and we don't schedule games um, for our participants with any great sympathy. They just have to get on with it. And sometimes that means, or we take it all into account, that we probably will underperform. And also, uh, Mourinho treats the Champions League like his personal fiefdom, which is quite a good approach for success. Reading and Bradford battle it out to a scoreless draw, which means we get to see a replay. Scoey, did you watch this game? Will you watch the replay? Did it diminish the magic of the FA Cup for you? And there was also more bad refereeing in this, but at this point, it's 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 like it's like shooting fish in a barrel. So we won't go there. Yeah, that, you know, I did watch the game. It wasn't a classic. You know, certainly the pitch was very hard for uh, both teams. Will I watch the replay? Uh, if I have nothing else to do, 
possibly. Um, <laughs> That's the strap line. Yeah. I, I, I don't, you know, good luck to him. There's a massive carrot there for all both clubs. You know, chance to play at Wembley, which these boys will very, very once in a lifetime probably get to. Although Bradford have been before, so maybe nerves played the better part of it. Really, so far it's been a good FA Cup because we're seeing giant killings. But the backside to that is. The flip side, sorry, to that will be, you know, we're going to see some <laughs> dull games, aren't we? Maybe a, a semi-final of uh, Bradford versus Manchester United. That would be dull. Not if, not if it's an epic upset with uh, Bradford upsetting United. The pigs here, Man United have made it so far. I can't, can't see how that would be an upset. <laughs> Gab, I have a question for you. Barcelona are in pole position again in the race in Spain. What's wrong with Real Madrid? Lots of things. They were absolutely terrible against Athletic Bilbao. They they went one 0 down early. That took them ages to uh, to react. The front three simply aren't working. Four of the last eight games, Cristiano Ronaldo has not had a shot on target. When you consider that he shoots on goal like 50 times a game on average, and that is accurate, um, it kind of says it all. Benzema had his poorest game in months. Carlo Ancelotti came out and basically took it on the chin and said, "Our front three simply aren't working. Uh, their movement is wrong. They don't. They're they're not making synchronized movements. They're taking too many touches, and that's the manager's fault. I need to go and fix it, and I need to fix it quickly." Good on him. What's happened with Gareth Bale over there at the moment? He's gone seven games, I think, without scoring. He's right. The fans were getting on his back because he was supposedly being, and the media, I think, and the fans, because he was supposedly being selfish um, before the injury to James. He was seen as the guy who was keeping Isco out of the side. Isco's been really, really good. Part of the issue is if you've got Bale and Cristiano in your team, you've got two guys who are not exactly examples of work ethic or defensive prowess, and that puts even more stress on the midfield. And when you don't have holding midfielders, then it kind of becomes a problem. I think uh, given that he's going to be 26 years old uh, this summer and that he earns an absolute packet and um, they have James Rodriguez and Hesse and Isco and all these other guys, I think they'd absolutely love it if somebody came in and uh, and took him off their hands for you know a reasonable fee, which I'm guessing would be somewhere north of uh, 50 million euros. Right, that's all we've got time for this week. If you haven't subscribed on iTunes and Player FM for Android, for those of you of the Android persuasion, please do so now. Many thanks to my guests today, Alison Rod, Matt Hughes, and James Scowcroft. Special thanks to uh, Hughesy and Scoey because, of course, they're about to travel the country and make the long, long trip all the way up to Old Trafford. It's going first class virgin. I've got to drive up. Check out thetimes.co.uk on your digital device, and you'll see that if you're a member, you can get exclusive football, rugby, and cricket highlights free as part of your subscription. And if you're not a member yet, you can take our one pound digital trial today just search time sport online uh we'll be back next week same place same time bye bye your subscription to the times and the sunday times now comes with access to every barclays premier league goal refresh your app choose your team accept notification and you're away 